This is Libby Gore on ABC Radio. Okay, you're obsessed with The Crown. In particular, this last series that ended really only at the beginning of the story of Princess Diana and her relationship with Prince Charles and the royal family. Forgive me, I'm a girl of the 90s. I was there in the 90s when it all happened and the name Princess Diana to me is synonymous with... The ending of the fairy tale, the feminist fairy tale that a woman could marry a prince and ride happily off into the sunset to live happily ever after. In fact, when I looked up the definition of sunset after the death of Princess Diana, I found that it meant a gradual descent into darkness, which kind of put me off marriage altogether. So I live happily with my partner of 25 years and our two children. And neither of us ever look at the sunset with anything other than hope of a new beautiful day ahead. Renee Plant has taken it upon herself as a 90s girl to commit herself to creating a Princess Diana Museum, which is extraordinary because it's all online. Renee joins you from LA now. Good morning to you, our time, Renee. Good morning, guys in Australia. Hi, Libby. Thanks so much for having me. A pleasure to be here this morning. It's about four o'clock here in LA. So, but yeah. Are you, are you safe and well? Very safe and well. We're inside. Um, everyone's in lockdown over here like you guys. So it's been a long time. But yeah, we're getting through it yeah, day by day. Not a brilliant line, but we'll work on it as we go. Renee, I understand that you met Princess Diana twice when you were a child. Can you tell me that story, those stories? I will happily tell you those stories. It was, what you know, 1983 when Diana and Charles first came out to Australia and they brought Prince William with with them, which was a big deal back in the day. They put him on the same plane and they said the air and the spare are flying together. And it was the kids come out to meet royalty tour. You remember all the kids with the flags Absolutely. and they lined the paths and all that stuff. So I went to Monday Primary School and I was 12 years old and I was dragged out to, on a field trip. But I was that lucky kid that was so excited to go meet my princess. Um, and so she came down the path. I got a little pocket camera for Christmas from Santa Claus that year, and I'm snapping away, and she stops in front of me, smells carnations, and they go into the Yandina Ginger Factory to have lunch. Well, I sneak away, and I'm taking photos of anything I could do, a feet behind, you know, display boards and whatnot, and as they've come out, I'm on the other side, so there's all these photographers and then little old me. So she comes straight towards me, and she stood in front of me. I looked up. I was I was speechless. I mean, she was just so beautiful and just waited for me to say something. And I was like, I couldn't. So I, she moved on and I went under the barricade again. And a girlfriend of mine said, like, Renee, she's dropped something in the dirt. So I bend down and I pick up this tiny little clay platypus and I run over to a policeman and I open up my hand, you know, and she's getting into the Rolls Royce to go to the big pineapple. And I'm expecting him to let me run and give it back to her and jump in the car with them. And uh, he, he looked at me, closed my hand, and he said, she must have dropped it to give it to you. Oh. And I, I opened my hand and I looked at him and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went back to school. I showed all my friends. I got into so much trouble for not being where I should have been. But it was so worth it. I mean, yeah. So, that Renee, that's where... changed my life. That's where that uh, the Princess and the Platypus Foundation comes from. And I understand that you met Diana later again when she came back. But rather than take up all our time 
with the past. That's how I'm just fascinated that a childhood experience like that plus a supplementary one could actually turn your life so that you would want to be living it with her now after she's gone. Like that that's huge that you're so full on still into Princess Diana. Yeah, it was kind of a, a weird synergy, actually. It was like I, I had that platypus for 35 years and never in a million years would I have thought that it would put me on the path that I'm on. But after she passed, I remember I interviewed a lot of people and I asked them, you know, where they were when she died. And everyone can remember that moment. She had such a global impact. And I felt like she wasn't being respected or honoured anymore as much as she should have been, either by the royal family and obviously her sons can only do so much. And I just felt it was my, my job and obligation to do something to have the future generations kind of understand who she was. So how did you get Harry and William's permission to start this LA virtual Diana Museum? Well, before I started the project, we'd acquired two dresses, um, of which we lent some to Kensington Palace for a display. It became their featured dress. It was the Fazachi dress and the Carol and Charles dress, which was on display at the Queen Mary for a while. And once you have these objects, they're, they're historical. You became a collector. Correct. And I, you know, fell on the ground when I acquired our first dress. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've just acquired a Princess Diana dress. Um, but I felt it was very important out of respect for the boys just to reach out to them and let them know my intentions of the foundation and what my plans were. And so they wrote back and said, thank you so much. I shared the political story and all that. And they said, thank you. Um, we thank you for, you know, doing this with, for my mother. And um, we can't get involved directly because of all the other charities that they're involved with at that time. But they gave me their blessing. And with that, I just went full steam ahead and haven't looked back. So Harry and Megan just live up the street now from you. Well, they live, they live up in Santa Barbara, but um, Megan went to school about two miles from where I live in Los Feliz here um, at Immaculate Heart. It was an all-girls school. And so we're kind of notorious right now for, or infamous right now for having her come to school around our area. And how do you feel about uh, their use of Princess Diana's legacy in order to, I don't know, underpin their own philanthropic and independent existence? I, I think the boys have had a hard time growing up in the spotlight and obviously losing their mother has just been a devastating, you know, thing to, you know, have an ordeal. I think, you know, it was sad when Harry left. I must admit, I've, you know, there was a poll recently that only 7% of people in the UK would actually listen to the podcast from Harry and Megan right now, which I feel, you know, it's sad. But I think, you know, they've got to do what's best for them and in the long run. I just miss Diana being around to oh. see her boys grow up and, and be a grandmother. I think that's the biggest loss that we we get to see. So, Renee, you're talking like you know this family. You're talking like the boys. That's incredibly intimate. You're empathising with Diana's missing out on being a grandmother as if you're a personal friend. You know, how tied up in someone's legacy can you get? I think that the knowledge that I come is from just interviewing the people closest to her. So with the museum, I think it's like an object, but an object's just an object unless you get that personal touch with it. So, I, I was very adamant about trying to capture these stories with people that knew her, worked with her, have been gifted things from her to preserve that part of history because they're all getting older and once they pass, we're losing that sense of history. Is this your way so, of actually meeting her through these people? Probably, <laughs> yeah. I, when they tell me the stories, I'm just in awe of like, oh, my gosh, that happened. And they, they're very private people because once you work in the royal family, they're very um, discreet. They honour that that job they don't share stuff so to be able to have to have access to them and for them to open up to me 
I, I just feel it's such a gift and a blessing. You feel like you've and met my her? job to preserve. I, I, well, I did. I met her twice. No, but I mean, <laughs> oh, I see. So I see. I yeah, I, she shook my hand twice in the Sydney. The same thing. She looked up, shook my hand. When she looks at you, you were friends. She ch- yeah, she had. And I, this is, this comes from other people too. No, yeah, um, I understand. Everyone it- says the same thing. They all feel that they were connected somehow. A touch on the face, a hug. She made people feel so connected, and that was her global you know, popularity, I suppose, and the gift of kindness and humanitarianism. We've lost it. So in actual fact, we have a young woman who was completely disconnected and felt unloved in her personal life, surviving on the adoration of a whole heap of people she didn't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And that's the tragedy, like you've introduced, you know, a girl's fairy tale. I grew up watching The Wedding, you know, I was 12 then, and it was a fairy tale. And to see that tragedy play out and then her death, you know, tragedic soon, it was just... It, and, and Mother Teresa died, you know, remember that, five days apart. Mm. And they were the two most, you know, to me, people I looked up in the world that could change it, and they they died, you know, very suddenly. It's tragic. Yes, interesting. And, of course, everybody's multidimensional. I remember reading some, you know, broader broader perspectives of Mother Teresa as well in the days after her death, as there have been conversations about Diana. But this is the sort of conversation that you had, Renee, with people who were close with Diana or who worked with Diana in her role as being a a princess. This is one, a little snippet of a conversation that you had with Richard Young, who was a photographer who took possibly the last photo of Diana on her 36th birthday. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. At the Tate Museum, it was her 36th birthday and it's a beautiful photo. It's a very public photo, but yeah, he reveals what happened that night. Can you tell us about the photo just so that it triggers people's minds? Because I think they know this woman through her photos. She's wearing a black dress. She's wearing a black dress from um, Jacques Azaguri, actually, which I've also interviewed and some of his dresses are on display in the museum and she's just leaning on her hand and she's smiling and she's giving the pose. She knew how to work the camera. She knew how to give shots to people, you know, that she was well known for doing that. And she'd turn and say to people oh that's made them retire like she knew that you know that she had that ability to give that gift what that's made them retire that if she gave them the great photo they'd make enough enough money from it is that what you're saying yeah wow here's richard young um that was the last time i ever photographed princess of the princess diana um i got asked by vogue and chanel to come and be the in-house photographer uh, I was talking to Diana that night. We were joking and laughing, and I wished her happy birthday. We had a we had a nice nice long conversation about I don't know what, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, but um, but we had a really good evening, and then she sat down for dinner, and I was on the other side of the table, and and she just gave me this beautiful pose and this beautiful look, and um, and and it was a very memorable portrait of her. And I will always remember her through that portrait because, to me, that was the last picture I ever took of her. So when you were approaching these people who were in Diana's circle, whether it be her personal trainer or her photographers or her bodyguards, did you feel stalkerish in in any kind of way, asking them for their personal recollections? or Or were they happy to put it on public record, their relationship with her, in order to round out our understanding of what kind of woman she was? 
Yeah, good question. I feel like initially, like I said, people are very reluctant to open up. There's a lot of people that are very still today will not share their details about her life. And Richard Dalton is one of those, um, you know, members that was her hairdresser for 12 years and has not disclosed stuff in public. So to have access to him and for him to like give hour long interviews just about you know doing her hair in all these different countries in Thailand, pulling out the flowers from the vase, you know, and it's you put her in her hair and that was the, you know, shot all around the world you know the next day and he just pulled it out of a vase stories like that um you just don't get them so to have access to them um bit like victor edelstein was another one that was really hard to get because he's retired 30 years ago but he was the most famous designer did all her dresses and he's painting now he's retired so i just don't give up i would just you know you day by day i write to them and because it's a charity too it's a it's a non-profit foundation um, it gives back to children and charities in donors' honour um, and legacy. They're open to that. So, you know, it's it's a really great synergy to be able to keep that legacy alive. And I think at the end of the day they are happy to share, you know, what, what they love. I'm going to open up the phone lines. If you were a, a Princess Diana obsessive or if <laughs> not, one three hundred eight hundred triple two is the phone number. one three hundred eight hundred triple two. What triggered your innate interest? What made you weep when she died? And and what makes you still real when you think about a life that was spent, that was pitched to us all as that fairy tale in which we subsequently learned was actually a bit of a nightmare? one three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. Do give us a call if if you would like to join in this conversation with Renee Plant, who's the director of the Princess and the Platypus Foundation, which brings you the Princess Diana Museum, which you can visit online, and Renee will let you know how to do that in just a moment. Renee, I need to tell you that I did my own Princess Diana Odyssey in 2000 yeah. as working as Elle McFeast, and I took a horse riding lesson with James Hewitt, her lover. Hmm. It was to find nice. out how she felt when she went yeah. horse riding with him. Would you like to hear a little bit? I would love to, Libby. Please right. share. I shall. Hello, Elle. James. How are you? Pleased to meet you. Very good to meet you. Welcome to England. Thank you very much. You're going to teach me how to ride one of these pedigree thoroughbred... To... Well, we'll start to, to the, the, the initial <laughs> stages of instruction so you can get on Cedric. Cedric? This is Cedric. I've never been on a Cedric before. Have you not? Mm-hmm. So we went on a horse riding lesson. I'm perfectly happy to send it to you and see if it's appropriate to be in the museum. I would love that. I would love to add that, Libby. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mary is from St Helens in Tasmania. She wants to join our conversation. Hello, Mary. Oh, hello. Hello, yes. Um, yeah, just um, brought back memories and um, we all knew where we were when um, she died. But um, I actually, um, my cousin and I met her when she visited Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory when I was living there. Mm. Yeah. Tell so, us the story. Um, yes, well, it was, um, I think it was about 1982, and um, she brought, as you mentioned, Prince William out. And, um, yeah, she'd been to Alice Springs and Simpson's Gat, and I remember that she looked very um, thin and sunburnt legs, and um, they, both hopped the, they both hopped off the plane. Well, first of all, how we got her to um, greet you or um, come over to us at the railing at the airport at Tennant Creek was... We dressed up um, my um, cousin's uh, little baby, who was the same age as Prince William, in a beautiful little dress and had her on the railing. And um, 
anyway, they hopped off the plane and um, and she, she was looking very thin and Prince Charles in his safari suit and and yeah, she just came straight over to us and um, she looked quite sad and that and um, mm. just just asked me um, yeah what it was like living in a small community like this and I said look oh it's the people that make it you know it's a fantastic place yeah so yeah and. Yeah, she just um, was doting over little um, Hayley, the baby at the time, who's now the same age as Prince William. Yeah, so um, yeah, so it was very. And we got a photo. I've got a photo too. Not a very good photo, but a photo of us <laughs> looking at her and her but looking treasured, at us. But treasured, treasured, treasured. Yeah, yeah, that's happened. I always think if only we could have told her, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, you can't. I think yeah. maybe that is the attraction. Thanks, Mary. Of um of why for our generation, Renee, she lives so strongly in our hearts. She basically tells us that the fairy tale was just a fairy tale and that, you know, we were Cinderella Greer girls in that we kind of were brought up to believe in the fairy tale and then on top of that we had Germaine Greer saying, no, burn your bra, run hard against the boys. So we burned our bras, we ran hard against the boys and some of us came home with two black eyes. But she told us there is no fairy tale. (laughs) Well, and that was the beauty of her, I think, too, because she was so vulnerable and transparent towards that, you know, obviously during some of those interviews that, you know, are, you know, being contended today in BBC and whatnot. But opening up about that, about her bulimia and about her, you know, depression after having a baby and the marriage, the three in the marriage, you know, Ken was there that day and he shares with us, you know, when he walked in and, you know, into Camilla's birthday and it was just like <gasps> everything went into slow motion. Mm. So. No one, no one wants to get divorced, but because she lived it in public, um, I think at the very end of her life she was coming into her own and um, got, you know, cut out really, really too too soon. And and when you played that song, by the way, that Candle in the Wind song, can I tell you, it just brought up all that emotion from the funeral mm. and it happened 23 years ago, you know, mm. and it's just... There's a This is a really eerie story, but we have a whole teenage uh, album collection of hers and there's the Beatles, there's ABBA, there's Queen, and she's got El- Elton's John, Yellow Brick Road album, and she signs them all Diana because the kids used to fight over whose item was what. And then she's got three love hearts under Elton John, and then over on the Marilyn Monroe song that you just played, Carol in the Wind, um, she's got Love You, Marilyn, and it's like eerie because she didn't know Elton at the time. And then that song was played at her funeral and that's in her Gone Too Soon gallery. It's, it's eerie. Well, yeah. Renee, finally, your verdict yeah. on Meghan Markle. Um, I think she's there to, to I, what can I say? I mean, I'm just going to let that play out. I'm sad that Harry left. I'm very sad. I've interviewed people and they said that if Diana was alive, the boys would not be fighting or having any of the issues the way they are she would have put a stop to it pretty quickly and made them all kind of figure out whatever's gone on. And I think that, you know, yeah. So I have a text from Kathy who says, when Diana died, I was very heavily pregnant with my son. I believe the shock of her death put me into labour and I had my son the next day. <laughs> and Lou has sent a text saying, my friend worked on her image for Tussauds in the 90s. She said she was the most beautiful woman she'd ever seen, full of charisma. So there you go. Yeah, thank you. And I love the the thing about the museum is people can connect, connect in real time and they can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. It's never been done before, so you can actually do it by, by a text, audio or video. 
and we have a virtual avatar that can take you around if you're not that tech savvy. So, but it's a really good community place where people can come together and share their stories about Diana and the pieces. Yes, and many of us have secret stories about Diana that we need to, you know, talk to someone who understands. Thank you so much, Renee. Thanks so much for having me, Libby. Wonderful to meet you. Renee Plant, uh, who brings you the online virtual Princess Diana Museum.